I remember my childhood home. Um, I remember picking figs in the backyard. I remember drawing with chalk on the driveway. I remember playing in the pillow fort in the basement. I don't have a clear idea of what order these memories are in, but all of my earliest memories come from that home. Mm. Tell us who are you, where are you, and uh, what are you working on? I'm Roland Carlson. I'm working as a data scientist in the Chicago area, and I've found, I've built a mental toolkit over the course of the last few years, and I found that it prepared me fairly well for current events. And so I'm digging into my memories and finding what were those tools that I used? What was it that convinced me in order to adopt those tools in the first place? And then I'm writing on my website to try and share what I find in that process. Hmm. Mental tools. Uh, can you tell us a bit more about, about them? So um, it's things like uh, Roman Stoicism. It's the idea of not worrying about things that are outside of your control. Ideas like meditation. Ideas like... Uh, how to set up routines, uh, mm. just little kind of mental tools to kind of snap me back into a healthy mental space. Yeah. Can you tell us about any new opportunities that you have uh, now that you didn't have perhaps a couple of months ago, you know, before the crisis? I have found that I've had a lot more time to focus. Uh, previously, my evenings were filled with activities in the outside world. Those are obviously not happening right now. And so I've been using that time to write, uh, to build my website, to read a lot more, and just to think about what I can do next in order to get to my next opportunity. Mm. And... Uh You know, uh, you were mentioning these uh, toolkits, and I, I visited your web page as well, and, and I saw that, uh, yeah, you are inviting people or you want to share some of the tools, um, you know, that you have encountered. Can you tell us a bit about the format of, of how are you uh, imagining or thinking you're going to be sharing this with people? So... Oftentimes, when you're presented with a tool, I can tell you not to worry about things you can't control. But if you've never done that before, mm -hmm. it's going to be very hard for you to adopt that mindset or mentality. And so I'm looking for that three-second moment where I went from not believing that idea to believing that idea. And then kind of expanding the story, what led up to that moment? What immediately followed that moment? And so instead of me telling you an idea, I'm looking for you to kind of come along with me on a ride, a journey to see how I discovered that idea. And mm. maybe your own experiences will map onto that. Maybe they won't. But it's my hope that there's some commonality that you can use or adopt the tool on your own without me. Right. So are you um, using like storytelling skills? That is correct. Um, so I'm 
breaking them into uh, how that that character, in this case me, has chosen in a moment of challenge and kind of what comes from that. Can you tell us uh, maybe an example? Sure. So there was a point where I was traveling to uh, a weekend event. And because of my work schedule, I had to travel alone. I really wanted to carpool with my other friends that were going to that event, but I was unable to. And because I chose to travel alone, we kept kind of missing each other. Like we missed each other at the hotel. We missed each other getting to the event. We missed each other for lunch. Um, I even got to the, the dinner restaurant like five minutes early and kind of was worried that I missed them again. Mm. Um, but that Sunday at the end of the weekend, I was having a conversation with another friend that had traveled alone to the event. And as she was talking through kind of being left out from things, being an outsider, um, trying to help her with her problem made me recontextualize my own situation. I realized that I had chosen to drive alone and over the course of my life up until this point, there have been a number of places where I could have gone along with the group, but instead chose some option, either traveling alone, rejecting a group idea, etc., that would kind of drive a wedge between me and the group I wanted to be a part of. And I was just doing this kind of unconsciously. And in that moment, I realized that I could choose whether or not to be an outsider or not. I found after that point that being somewhat of an outsider is beneficial because it allows me to see ideas and concepts that are not well adopted by my team and coworkers, for example. Yeah. But I, I, when I want to fit in, I can examine those behaviors and say, okay, no, I want to fit in here. I don't want to, I'm not going to reject it out of hand like I'm used to doing. Hmm. Very interesting. And uh, I think that these, um, the choice, as you said, uh, as you put it, uh, you know, of being an outsider, of taking some space from uh, a group in order to observe better. And um, I think it's, it's a very interesting skill to be able to you know, take distance when you need to take distance because you need to observe or reflect a bit more. Um, and even sometimes, you know, get uh, in touch with your own feelings uh, regarding whatever you are working with your collaborators. And then uh, I love it that you're also, uh, you know, also um, talking about joining the group and being part of a group so you can contribute as well. Yeah, the main takeaway for me was that like my life up until that point had been plagued by loneliness because I felt that I had been the odd one out. I wasn't a part of the group. I, I felt lonely. And I realized in this moment that like not only was being an outsider an asset, as we've just described, but that the loneliness was almost self-inflicted and I now had the choice to either be lonely or 
really be an outsider. Being an outsider by choice kind of removes the loneliness from the equation because mm -hmm. I know that it's something that I've chosen and not something that's been forced upon me by outside forces. Yeah, and uh, don't you think that everybody, like all of us, at some point need to be alone? Like being alone is something that we we need as well, you know, uh, in order to... I mean, there are many things that cannot happen unless you take that time to go and and dissolve yourself in your loneliness and uh, with your time on your own, don't you think? I think there's a difference between solitude and loneliness. I think loneliness is generally a negative thing, but mm -hmm. I agree that solitude is a very powerful asset. Um, the art of writing is rewriting, going back and editing your words and kind of making them sharper and crisper. I believe that the art of thought is reflection. So mm -hmm. taking the time to either write down or kind of talk through the ideas out loud and yeah. only by examining those thoughts, those beliefs, those questions, whatever they might be, will you actually get kind of be able to mine out the value out of them instead of just kind of sitting at a surface level yeah and um and i i I'm thinking that maybe you know um some of us uh might avoid uh solitude uh because we're afraid of that yeah that um the, the loneliness or the neg negative um you know understanding that we have from uh, of of solitude. And so we can avoid it because we feel lonely, but we can also avoid it because we ignore solitude, like if it was something bad. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot um, of value in getting to solitude, but often we get caught up on our own mental demons where because we have unresolved mental issues for um, either serious psychological issues or just kind of mm. things we worry about inside of our own heads, um, we're kind of afraid to confront our own thoughts. Um, left in a room to our own devices, we'll pull out our smartphones or pull up a website or whatever, and start browsing instead of engaging with the ideas in our own heads. Yeah, and you're definitely right that uh, these um, that confinement Uh, that I think we never experienced ever before. Uh, it was something that kind of forced us to to go into the solitude of our of our inner worlds, and I think that that was uh, kind of a present within the crisis. Any thoughts on that? I think, and this is part of why I want to share my mental toolkit is that if you're not in a good headspace coming into a crisis like we have now, the, the mental pressures that we're under are only going to make that worse. Um, but if you're in a good headspace and you have the mental tools either within yourself or externally with a therapist or otherwise mm -hmm. to kind of engage with your own thoughts, you can gain a lot from the solitude. And I, I personally have gained quite a bit from being able to think clearly and uninterrupted for the first time in a long while. Yeah, it's true. It's, it's, um, I never thought about how 
trauma can be something that um, you know stops you from being able to go within the solitude of your soul and and you know and just stay still there. Yeah. Can you tell us about um um yeah Tell us about some um, some achievements, interesting achievements that you have uh, that you, you have accomplished. So I don't tend to think of things in terms of achievements. I kind of think of things in terms of ongoing things that I do. But one thing that comes to mind is about two years ago, I started studying historical swordsmanship. So 17, early 17th mm -hmm. century. Italian rapier, uh, late 16th century German longsword, and mm -hmm. going from a mental space, as I do in work, uh, outside, um, to a like physical sphere where I could think about how does my body feel? What does it feel like to move in this way? Um, I've been kind of collecting a bodily vocabulary, understanding what it feels like when I move this muscle group, what it feels like when I move that muscle group. And I think that gives me a much, in the same way we were just talking about with our mm. own thoughts, being in a better connection with my body has allowed me to feel a lot more confident and a lot uh, stronger as I move through the world. Yeah. Roland, I practice Aikido. I'm a, um, I've been practicing Aikido since 2012, which is a martial arts, art, sorry. And uh, we do practice with uh, wooden weapons. <laughs> and, and yeah, isn't it something that I often say that um, if we were more educated in martial arts, there will be actually less conflict among us because we would know how to how to deal with with our feelings of how do we feel but also with our reactions to external stimulus do you have uh, yeah can you tell us a bit more about it about your experience yeah and sure. your discovery yes the I think ultimately, regardless of which martial art you're practicing, yeah. the goal is to maintain control over your own body, right? When someone is attacking you, your goal is to not be uh, controlled by them. You don't want to be grabbed. You don't want to be hit. You don't want yeah. to be damaged. And just the understanding of how do I avoid getting hit? How do I uh, intercede in such a way that prevents me from being hit, mm -hmm. um, it gives you a lot more kind of room to think about these things. And I've found that there have been enormous mental benefits to thinking through these various things. Because I'm, when I'm in, say, an argument, I'm less likely to rise into extreme conflict because I've had a weapon pointed at my face. I, it's not threatening for you to raise your voice in the same way. It is. It still engages that fight-or-flight reflex. But I've been in that position before, and I understand that escalating it into more anger, more violence, isn't going to solve the situation. I need to remain calm, take perhaps a defensive posture, be that in communications or physically, mm. and 
seek to de-escalate or uh, control the situation, or at least prevent myself from being controlled. And that piece of control also applies to whoever I'm engaging with, right? In the same way that mm -hmm. I don't want to be controlled, they also don't want to be controlled. Mm -hmm. So any action I take should not be one that necessarily strives to control them because they're going to react exactly viscerally and kind of say, no, I don't want to be controlled. So like asking questions instead of ordering someone, um, uh, leadership is kind of getting people to follow you. It's not barking orders at people and martial arts kind of has a, a very nice tie into that. Yeah, I love it. I love, um, there's so many things, uh, you know, to say uh, regarding martial arts and how they help us, yeah, navigate emotions and, and relationships and these avoiding or being able to neutralize um, conflict before it even comes to, to express itself. Or, um, but perhaps one of the, the, the nicest things I'm reading of from what you're saying is this, um, you know, uh, this ability or this through the training uh, 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 with martial arts, somehow you get to uh, have a better control on, on your reaction. So you're not reacting to, to what's happening outside, but you kind of become more strategist in, um, in the way you operate. And I really enjoyed as well what you said, you know, about not how you deal with the person that is trying to attack you is also needs to be strategical as well. Like you don't want to give, uh, put tension where you shouldn't. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's so interesting. <laughs> I could go on and on with, with martial arts. <laughs> The, the other thing that's really helped me in the, is the more physical side, right? By learning how to breathe properly through my yeah. nose, by learning how to stand properly with good posture. Yeah. Like, I have significantly less back pain than I did before I started martial arts. Yeah. And just the ability to walk smoothly instead of kind of stomping everywhere, just yeah. it, it makes movement feel so much better and it's very hard to describe if that's not something you've experienced yeah <laughs> yeah this education of your body of um of uh yeah of your breathing also the gaze for example you know of being capable of having like a very wide observation of, of whatever is around you instead of um letting yourself be distracted by the, the, the smallest uh, disruption around you, and yeah, it's it's so very interesting. But as you said, is yeah, it takes uh, yeah, it's like educating your body and your senses and 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 who you are. Tell us perhaps about um, a challenge that you have encountered and. What helped you overcoming, overcoming it? So in the fall of 2016, I decided to retire from online gaming. I had done it extensively and 
I had to kind of turn and smell the ash that had become mm. of my life. Like I had been using gaming as an escape, but you could mm -hmm. replace gaming in the situation with television or books or whatever, any time that a hobby kind of takes over past your livelihood, uh, that was the situation I was in. And so I found myself as a factory worker. I found myself depressed and anxious. I found myself with $60,000 in college loan debt that I had no idea how to pay back. Mm -hmm. And short, little bit less than three years after that, I was accepting a position as a data scientist. I was feeling a lot more satisfied. I and I had built this mental toolkit that allowed me to do that. And over the course of those three years, I transformed. I would argue that you wouldn't have wanted to have this conversation with the me prior to that decision. Uh, just the I have changed fundamentally on pretty much every axis since then. Hmm. And were um, were these changes? Um did they came from uh where did they came from like did they came from a posture of i really have to change or or was it more um observing new opportunities and and yeah tell us a bit more it's it's really passioning passionating <laughs> sorry <laughs> yeah so it it definitely started with this um, desire to get get out of the factory, like because um, I, I quit online games and that was my entire friend network. So I no longer had any friends except for maybe a couple coworkers I talked to. But these were people mm. that had been working in a factory for 10, 15, 20 years. They had accepted the lifestyle that they were in, and I thought that they were crazy. Um, and so initially there was this strong kind of burning desire of I've got to get the hell out of here. Yeah, but and that, that led me to starting to read. Um, so I had convinced myself that I hated reading because novels put me to sleep and uh. textbooks are universally dry and not engaging reading. Um, mm. But I found during that period that uh, nonfiction um, is written because I can immediately apply it. Um, was very engaging to me. So this person that wanted very desperately to change his station in life found tools through books. Um, so I bought one book, which is kind of a fluke. Um, I was visiting a bookstore and I had just gotten a raise. So I was like, okay, I have a little bit of extra spending money. I'll buy a book. And in the back of that book was kind of a list of other recommended books. And I started buying those and reading those. And it kind of just turned it in this like uh, virtuous cycle where I would read one book and adopt an idea. And as you were saying, I my kind of uh, vision would slightly widen. I would see slightly more opportunity and I would realize, okay, I'm missing a skill over here. And I would find a book on that skill. And then the, my opportunity would get wider in that area. And it kind of just got stronger and stronger, like compound interest. Beautiful. And how did it happen uh, for the career change, because not only did you get rid of a, of a, of a model or, or, or a life, lifestyle that wasn't serving you and you start educating yourself, uh, not only did you do that, but you also changed career. You became a data scientist. You were a, a factory worker. 
can you tell us a bit a bit about that? So it, it kind of came in degrees. So shortly after I started making these life changes, I'd say about six months, I was actually uh, able to move from the factory line into the office of the factory to work as a data analyst. Yeah. Uh, it just so happened I had interviewed for a communications position and I kept bringing up technological solutions to the communications problems they were facing. And one of the people who was interviewing me, who knew me from before, suggested, have you talked to the tech department? And I was like, no, I work on a factory. I'm, I'm exhausted at the end of the day. I don't have time to do anything. Um, but a few weeks later, someone from the tech department actually came out and said, hey, do you want to work in the office? And I was like, yes, get me out of here. Uh, and... <laughs> By degrees, like I started as a data analyst building dashboards for the factory. Um, but under that boss, I was able to train on the job. Kind of the deal was I stayed at factory pay, but was able to train during work hours. And I developed a data analysis skill set, a machine learning skill set, and started working on projects in the factory for that. And then two years into that process, um, actually, as a dinner I went to as part of the historical swordsmanship I did, I was talking to a friend about machine learning, and a guy across the table was like, well, have you considered using it for anything else? And at the moment, I was satisfied with my job, but a few months later, as I wanted to grow and exceed the capacity of the, the small town I was living in, that, that thought kind of, kind of bubbled back up to the surface, and... I reached out to that individual and he was able to hook me up with my current boss and kind of talk through things. Um, that didn't even work immediately. I ended up applying for a position that I wasn't qualified for. And both uh, my current boss and I realized that immediately. But I asked him in the same way I asked Swordmasters whenever I get a chance to meet one. Yeah. It's like, hey, I'm not going to see you for a while what can I do in the meantime to improve by the time I see you the next time? And so I asked him for one thing. He sent me like a list of five and I found an online course that hit like four of those five points. And I worked through that course. I did all the homework and then I sent him an email back like two or three months later that said, Hey, I did a course that addressed the things that you said and he was so impressed that I would follow up and actually do the things yeah. he asked me to do that he ended up starting the process to get me into my current position. Beautiful, beautiful. And um, so I have like two questions. I, I'm wondering how much did the, the study of swords um, and this discipline that you also developed helped you in this transformation and in, in, in this uh, gaining momentum and acting upon it? And what other, um, like, like if you could highlight, let's say, one or two tools that you use that you also think that are the core or, you know, at the core of, of, of all of this new energy that came with you, within you and, yeah, got you, got you out there. Uh, showing up. So I think the primary thing was exactly the last word you said, showing up. So when I started studying historical swordsmanship, especially uh, September of two years ago, I 
said I was going to do this properly. So I, I threw myself in it. I would ask lots of questions of every teacher I could come across. Mm. I would do all the homework. I would engage, build community, reach out to people, and kind of take action. And it was that um, aspect of kind of showing up and uh, doing mm. my best at every opportunity that I think is what was seen by the recommendations I ended up getting for my current position is that, and I, it was during that winter where I kind of thought about it. It was like, wait, I'm doing all of this in my swordsmanship and it's, I'm growing really fast as a sword fighter. Why am I not doing these things in my career? Mm. And I, I didn't have a ready answer to that question. So I, I spent like all of winter thinking about how do I apply these ideas to my career? And that's, ultimate what led me to change think and go okay i probably do need to change i need to find i need to go to some place that has teachers in my field and learn from them um, the environment i'm in currently i'm the top expert in what i know and that that means the only person i have to ask for help is the internet and i hadn't cultivated an online community to help me so it was just me um mm. and so it was that idea of showing up and delivering your best regardless of who is or who is not watching that I think helped me the most. Beautiful. <laughs> really, really interesting. Tell us um, if you had uh, an advice to your 18-year-old self, what would it be? So my 18-year-old self was kind of stubborn and he wouldn't have listened to any of the advice I would have given him. Um, he thought he was clever, and that often meant that um, he ignored appropriate advice. But there is one idea, and there's a set of ideas, but the one idea I'd want to share um, with someone kind of in that position is stay in contact with everyone you meet, um, especially in the kind of modern era where we have email. There's no real excuse for losing contact with people. Um, through my online gaming, I met tons of people and played with people all over the place. But when I left those games, I effectively lost those friendships because I had no way of staying in contact with them. And because mm. when you're gaming or when you're doing any hobby together with people, you're in the same place. You're doing the same things. It's very easy to find friends because you you're all have something in common. But when you stop doing those things it's not as natural to maintain those friendships. Mm. And especially in the age of LinkedIn and Facebook, we often think of our networks as passive, right? You add me as a friend, you add me as your network, and then you're in my network and I don't have to do anything. But that's not true. I, I have people on my LinkedIn network that I haven't spoken to in close to five years. It would be very strange and probably wrong mm. for me to ask and say, hey, I haven't spoken to you in five years. Can you help me find a job? No, that's, that's ridiculous. Um, but if you instead um, stay in contact with each person, sending an email every two months, every six months, whatever, it's a lot easier to keep up with them. And it's not this passive kind of stalking on Facebook of like what people are up to, but it's this active engagement of, hey, what are you up to? Yeah, of paying attention. What, are, of what challenges are you mm. facing? Here's what I'm doing. Um, is there anything you can help with? Yeah. Yeah. And don't you agree that it's both? Yeah, so that, that's something I wish I had done sooner. Mm. 
Yeah, and uh, and and both uh, both paying attention of of the needs of the people out there, and uh, you know, uh, yeah, just paying attention of the people around you. But there's also the fact of um, of of uh, showing up. I mean, you know, producing content is also a, a huge part of it right of of keeping your network alive and 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 keeping the connection with people i agree it's that was another thing that i kind of failed at i took all of these courses on data science and machine learning etc but while those helped me further my career internal to my company i didn't really have anything to share outside because it was proprietary data or systems that are going into production mm-hmm. i can't in good conscience share those things with other companies or other people and so just making things say hey i i thought of this idea let me write a quick article that explains why I thought of that idea or how I thought through that idea. Um, And if you do this over time, um, all of a sudden you have this body of knowledge for people to look at. Um, I'm a strong proponent that everyone should have their own website. So that way they have a place that's kind of free and stable, right? Who knows how long Facebook will last, right? We were all on MySpace and then we weren't. Um, Facebook Mm. looks like it's going to last a bit longer, but ultimately everything you post on Facebook is owned by Facebook, not by you. And if you have your own website, it's the opposite, right? If I write it in plain text, then that website can stay untouched for 40 years and still have the same information posted. Right. And, uh, yeah, and of course, if you're consistent, you will keep it uh, up to date. And and the the step forward or the next step is then when it comes to the communication with the people that subscribes to your webpage and the intimate relationship that you can create with those that want to hear from you and that want to know what you're up to, what are what ideas are you articulating. And it's true that it's 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 a different thing, right, than uh, the networks and the and the platforms like LinkedIn and and Facebook. If you um if you had one resource that you would recommend to us check in uh, out of the over the next few weeks, what would it be? What resources? Uh, would come up to your mind? So the, the one thing, there's so many things I'd like to talk about, <laughs> but the one thing I would recommend is something called Monica, uh, monicahq.com. It's, a, it's essentially a customer relationship manager for your contacts. So I, I'm, I don't have a particularly good memory. Mm-hmm. And so as... I talk about staying in contact with everyone that I've ever known. That list easily tops hundreds of people at this point. Um, and so what Monica allows you to do is put each and every person with their birthdays or personal information, like mm. this person does Aikido, this person does uh, swords, this person likes data science. Mm. And so when you reach out to them and connect with your community, your own network actively, you have the ability to say, 
oh, you haven't contacted this person in six months. You should do that now. Set up reminders to tell you to reach out to people. Um, I'm personally building my own database, but I'm skilled in databases from my day job, so that's not hard for me. But Monica is already pre-built. It's open source. And if you're not tech savvy at all, they even have like a paid service where for a, a fee each month, you can they'll host it on their servers and they'll just take care of it for you. So it, it's a really cool tool for kind of building a digital Rolodex of all the people that you've met and how to stay in contact with them. Right. Yeah. Very interesting. It's true that, um, you know, I, I mean, that's the base, the basics of, uh, of networking, you know, paying attention to people, knowing their needs first, and then, you know, trying to connect. And it's true that, um, we kind of forget the basis, the basis when, uh, when we're in these huge platforms with thousands of people, uh, being part of your network. So thank you for that. That's really, really interesting. If you could uh, send the world an email right now, what would you say, Roland? I'd like to come back to that idea of not worrying about things you can't control. But as we've discussed, if you've never done that before, you're going to have a very hard time of implementing that. So I'm going to mm -hmm. turn it around. So instead of not worrying about things you can't control, think about what is one small action that you can take right now to move you to a better place. Maybe it's cleaning up a part of your apartment so that you can do exercise inside. Maybe it's cooking a meal for yourself. Maybe it's reaching out, sending an email to a loved one and saying, hey, are you all right? Um, or moving yourself on your career or whatever. But focus on the little things you can do instead of the big things that you can't do. And that, that would be what I would send out to the world. <laughs> 